I'm David Alexander, joined by host Tony Kalinowski. Welcome to the Retirement Insiders, where we'll share key insights today for your retirement journey. Welcome back to another episode of the Retirement Insiders. And uh, just as a reminder for our listeners, uh, the six pillars of a vibrant retirement that we talk about on a regular basis are faith, family, friends, fitness, finance, and fun. Because it's Cybersecurity Awareness Month, October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, we're going to talk about cybersecurity fitness and personal fitness, how to keep yourself safe both on the internet and in your daily and private and public life. New data on cybersecurity attacks, well, there was a 38% increase in global attacks in 2022 compared to 2021. And the Internet Crime Complaint Center reported that about 88,000 people aged 60 and over collectively lost over $3 billion to Internet fraud last year. So this is not a light issue. This is a big issue. And here at the Retirement Insiders, we want to make sure our listeners are safe. Isn't that right, David? That's right. This topic is an important one. And I'm glad you mentioned it to me a few months ago, Tony, for our, our conversation today. I couldn't think of a better voice to share his story, journey, and insights. Ernest Smiley is a good friend and brilliant leader as our next guest. He will make this a really dynamic conversation. It's actually very interesting because Ernest has a career that spans over 25 years of experience in cybersecurity, technology integration, science, and more for the U.S. Army, Department of Defense, NASA, CIA, as well as corporations such as General Dynamics, Lockheed Martin. I could go on and on. His position titles have included Chief Technology Officer, Senior Information Technology Security Manager, and Chief Data Scientist within the federal government. After retiring from serving our nation, Ernest took on the role of Chief Data Scientist for Kingdom Capital, a values-driven private investment firm. He is also the founder and CEO of Georgetown Analytics, which focuses on data science artificial intelligence, and predictive analytics platform, talent management, healthcare ecosystem opportunities throughout the United States. Wow, that is that is some bio earnest. Thank you. <laughs> Are you sure you're not like 100 years old or something? You look a lot younger, I've got to tell you, but that's fantastic. Ernest, I look forward to diving into the topic of cybersecurity and safety, but before we get there, I'd like you to share a bit of your story. Were you always a cyber genius? Did you just come out like this? What, what was life like for you growing up? Give us a little backstory. Well, I grew up in a small town in uh, in Alabama, Alexandria City. It's actually 12 of us, 12 brothers and sisters, three sets of twins. And I uh, had the fortune to live uh, next door to, uh, to a genius, uh, this uh and uh, Mr. Ellerton, he could almost do anything. I was, I was his uh, helper from the time that I was like five and six years old. So he did everything from repair watches, repair lawnmowers, uh, build, you know, repair engines and cars and all that. And so he got me involved in, you know, very intuitive and, you know, being responsible at such an early age. And I just, I would just love being around. And one of the most incredible things that I seen that he actually built his wife a piano. He did all the keys. He did all the strings. And I was just so intrigued by what you could do with 
with small things and you know this is whether it's wood or you know him taking the inside of a watch together and he was so meticulous with everything that he did and so I uh, I enjoyed being 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 around him and I just I just that was my my start small farm as I I mentioned and stuff we grew up with no uh, indoor toilet no you know uh, running water in the house and stuff we lived. There was three of my brothers. We used to sleep across the bed. Of course, now over six feet tall. And we remember our heads and feet just hanging over and stuff and getting firewood in and going out and getting water. And you have to think, you know, this wasn't that long ago. You know, we were talking about in the 70s all the way to like 79 and early, early part of 80. But gave me some footprint of like what I wanted to do and what I want to do. And, and that was you know, really important. What I really want to do was be a, a great citizen and really support my country because I have so many family members that was involved in the military and, and uh, supporting that whole piece. That's powerful. That is a really neat story. That is a really neat story. I, I imagine it was tough with 12 in the household just to get a little word in edgewise from time to time. <laughs> so, and, I, and, hey, I'm a one, I, and I'm a twin, you know, I don't know if you knew this. I'm a twin. I can't imagine three sets of twins. That's phenomenal. God bless your mama. Yeah, really. So, you know, as we're talking about your, your growing up time, tell us one of the questions we ask all of our guests is tell us a little bit about your first job. What was that? Do you remember what it was and and what you did there? My first job, I was probably about 11 years old. I worked for my cousin and we cut grass. There was like two of my brothers that did that. And so, and so like we, we were so, you know, really proud of having a job. So we we would just run with the, this, the lawnmower. And we, of course, and, you know, we run instead of cutting five yards a day, we were like cutting 10 and we would just work. And he, uh, he paid us no matter how many yards we cut. He paid us ten dollars a day, and he would give us like a uh, peanut butter sandwich or something like that. That was it, and it was uh, it was really good. I like uh, being around my brothers. This was one of my cousins, and this was one of the few times, you know, for me it's very exciting that I got a chance to go into town. So we were like, we was going into town instead of being out in the country, and so that was good too. Yeah, oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. A lot of us grew up cutting grass first as a first job, so we can all relate to that. So, so you've you've seen quite a bit in your career serving in the military. Uh, we're going to ask you to talk a little bit about that for more than two decades. Talk a little bit about some of your various roles and and what you've done and some of your experience in the military. I went into the military at seventeen years old. I got a chance to learn something different. I thought that I was going to have a job like what you're all have. I thought I was getting into communication, but I was actually, you know, systems and telecommunications and, and all that the military army had. My first job I had was satellite systems over in Germany. So we were tying back into some of the, what they call major military systems. And so we're tying, connecting military systems back across Europe and of course back into the United States. That was really bonding and stuff because it was usually two and three man team, man, woman team out in the middle of nowhere. You were out there, you know, three months, six months. We were deployed at the time, no matter what was going on, 250 days out of the year. So you're just living out in a tent 
in the middle of nowhere, but I enjoyed it because I grew up like that environment. I didn't, it didn't, it didn't hurt me. And so like my friends that, whether they were from New York or California, they really hated all of that thing, but I was, I was fine with it. And I got a chance to learn because people were 12 hour shifts, 24 hour shifts. And so you could just read all the time. And so I read the entire encyclopedia like twice. Because we fully twelve hours shift, you know, you had your work that you had to do, monitoring systems, what you did, all your checks. Is you just you just there in an office vehicle uh, type setting? And I read, of course, the Bible, anything that I could get my hands on as far as computers. We always had a backup systems and technology that was there, so I would just tear it down apart, take the computers all the way apart reprogramming to do some type of other features and all of that stuff. And I was, I really, really uh, intrigued by it. So by the time I got like five years later, I was into this whole cyber security, communication security effort. I scored the highest ever on the army, you know, testing out of any individuals, you know, with cyber security. I was in intrigued by what, how, and you could protect systems some of the advancement that the technology had, of course, at the time. So when did you first experience a cyber attack? Was that, you mentioned this was in the 80s that you were spending time with this. Were there those kinds of things happening in the 80s like we see today? No, not to the, not to this that extent, because, you know, in the 80s, the military had their own private internet. And then there was a commercial, of course, internet, and then was really divided up across like whether it's edu and and you know ibm had their own connection because of their the hardware and systems and computers that they were connected into until that 90s that's when the military department of defense edu the education environment started connecting and buying systems and then long at the same time came to worldwide well you know in the early 90s that's when that came into place and stuff because before that, it was really hard to like download information. It was like called FTP, file transfer protocol. You had to know a lot about how the internet was set up at the time and really talking and, and passing information along. But the web made that really easy. You had a graphical interface and stuff started in the early 90s and that made the whole connection and stuff a lot better. So when did you first experience kind of the sense of a cyber attack occurring? Yeah, I was in the military early 90s, like 93, 94. We were actually attacked at the uh, Pentagon, actually attacked by one of the vendors that we had in place and stuff. And I was a network engineering officer. They actually had shut us down. Of course, they denied it. I went in and, and uh, I was always had a hands-on type of officer, trainer, leader, manager, and I went in and took a look at, you know, the logs and all this stuff. It's, it's coming from you. So I called them up. I called them. I was like, hey, we're, we see that you've done this. No, we haven't done this. It's, how do you know what we've done? So we went back and forth. And I actually went there and just blocked their whole network. And so I blocked their whole network to the Department of Defense you know, more than like 30,000 users that they had and stuff. And I was like, someone is going to tell me why this happened. And we finally got to the end of it. But that was the first like truly like cyber attack that I was exposed to. 
And you said that was like in the early 90s. Yes. Is that what you said? Yeah. So really, it's not been that long that cybersecurity has cyber attacks have no. been around in the last 25 yes. years or so. Yeah. Okay. Great. So that's incredible, first of all. And thank you for protecting the nation, jumping in and making a call, going in person. I mean, right. I mean, that this is, you got to think fast and quickly and you know, you got to get down to the bottom of answers so I can, I can see that moment very vividly. How have you seen the cyber attacks progress from that first encounter to, you know, more recently today? How have you seen it kind of shifted and changed from that first experience to what, what you've kind of experienced throughout your career? They're more complex. They're harder to find. You know, in the uh, mid-90s, we as the... Technical experts, we had an issue with running out of what we call IP addresses. So everything has an IP, an internet protocol address. In our wisdom and understanding, we uh, set up areas that you could hide your IP address. That whole piece makes it very easy for a cyber crime, cyber criminal to do what they have to do because they can hide your system that you're using is not broadcast across the internet like it. Supposed to be. You can hide behind like a a known number, as they call it, on the internet protocol. And in and, and another thing that happened over the time, it really became easy to move around. You could move your whole system in the pit piece that you're doing around the internet logically. You may look like you're in you're actually in California, but your computer is being broadcast. In, in Egypt or Germany. And that's the reason it is so hard to like catch someone that's doing a cyber crime because you really don't know where they are at. And then because of you really don't know what they are doing. It seems like the cyber criminals have gotten a little bit more sophisticated also. Does that, is that your sense? Yes. And sophisticated is just putting it lightly. Is that uh, because of social media and other information that's out there, they they are using it. So, like in the medical field, people will gain more knowledge. They know more, almost as much as the doctors do in the law field. That you see the same, and it's because of all of this sharing of intelligence, knowledge across the internet, whether it's social media. Some it's kind of, some is a little bad, but a lot of it people have taken advantage of information and information sharing, and then because of that. You know, it's really easy for people to find out things and, you know, compromise data and systems. I want to talk a little bit more about the kinds of people that fall prey to these types of crimes where money is stolen, identities are stolen, and the criminal minds that engage in digital crimes that we're hearing more and more about. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to take a short message break. Retirement is a time to pursue your dearest passions, live with purpose, and make an impact. Financial health is a crucial building block to achieve those goals, and host Tony Kalinowski can help. For 40 years, RBF Wealth Advisors has helped families maximize their retirement resources through sound financial planning and investment management. If this show resonates with you, reach out to Tony today. Call RBF at 314-997-1652 and schedule a time to visit. And we're back with Ernest Smiley. He served in many federal agencies like the CIA, NASA, 
with the Defense Department. He's a technology and cybersecurity expert. Thanks for your service to our nation. Ernest, I have to ask, what kinds of people do you notice fall prey to these cyber crimes where either money is stolen or identities are stolen? What are the demographics of these victims? Do they have a strong financial background, a strong education background, or, or are they kind of not as well-versed in those areas? Thanks for the question. A lot of it is just a lack of knowledge and understanding of what's happening at the, at the time when there's uh, a, a cyber issue. And, and, it, and a lot of some of the things happen, to, it's, it has to do with media that you're using, hardware or software that you have in place. But a lot of it is, is actually targeted at certain demographics, at certain regions of the country, certain age groups, some certain certain states, because it's all about really being right there at the right time to really move someone's financial whole impact, get access to a certain amount of data or in, in influence you to maybe in influence someone else as far as access and financial impacts and stuff, but, but that's, that's what we have to constantly be aware of. We, we seem to hear a lot about, you know, the 60 plus crowd being uh, kind of victimized a lot, but I've read recently that a lot of younger people are victimized just as much because they're spending way more time on technology and they're more apt to be victimized. Seeing a lot of that across all the, all domains, whether it's like Willie Woods in the banking, but it's dealing with education, but just social media itself, because we, with our technology, we make a lot of assumptions about its capability and um, and people are not going to attack us. They are not going to look at us. They're not going to be concerned with us because we make those assumptions and stuff. We expose ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. What are, have you noticed or what would you say are the, the, the top few things that people do wrong when they are victimized? And these kinds of attacks? Are there any steps? Do you see some things that they take on a regular basis? They go, wow, why did you do that? Why would you do that? Clicking on email from a, a coworker or a, a friend, because we see it so often, it's like driving along and you get to a corner and you know, you're, you're stopping, you have to make a left or right turn. We make a lot of assumptions. We do that a lot with technology, whether it's email, whether it's some type of social media platform, which leads us down the wrong path. And that path and stuff can, can include, you know, withdrawing our financial resources from uh, maybe your bank account, getting access to maybe not just your bank account, but maybe your house. You know, our, our homes are connected to the Internet, all pieces of it, you know, whether it's our security locks and cameras and those type of things. But our bank accounts and our mobile devices, like our phones, our phones, has almost all the data about a person. It's just really your phone, which we lay around. And sometimes the way they are set up, so people can just put another phone or another device right beside yours and pull all of that data that's all about you. So we have to be cognizant about what we're doing, surroundings, and, and then the impact about it. Does it happen more in public places? Or like you said, you mentioned it can happen in your home, but are certain public places a little bit more apt to see? Those kinds of things. I think so. I think, you know, the more people, the more opportunities that are there. Airports, you know, shopping malls, uh, restaurants in major cities. It's all, it's all about access to, to resources. So like if you, if you had considered to have 
additional funds and resources, you're more apt to get attacked more so than others that don't have those resources. Ernest, you know, I'm curious on artificial intelligence. AI, it's, it's not a buzzword anymore. Truly, it is impacting every single area of, of life uh, in the world and will continue to have impact. So I'm curious how might AI create more challenges for cybersecurity, or maybe it perhaps could potentially help as well. How do you think AI plays within the cybersecurity landscape? AI is in the cross of both of helping uh, an individual or an organization as far as cybersecurity, and it also can be hurtful for organizations. So a, a clear point is of artificial intelligence can be helpful to actually solve a problem as far as cyber, as far as hardware, software, who has access to social media, but AI, artificial intelligence can be hurt, hurtful for, for an individual and stuff because it, it sets up an individual for an opportunity that, that some type of crime will take place. And uh, our knowledge about the impact, since we are at the, at the early stage of artificial intelligence and cyber, there's so much that we, we need, we're, we're going to have to learn and, and the impact of it and stuff. And so like, we're like, when we just started getting home phones as far as cybersecurity is concerned. So a long way to go, a lot of, a lot of impact a lot of usability as far as the technology is concerned. It's so very excited to, or to be involved in cybersecurity that is artificial intelligence. Well, that's interesting. So you're saying that where we are now is, is the place where we first began to have home phones installed in everyone's home. This is, that was like how many years ago, golly, I can't even remember. <laughs> It was probably before my time, before I was born. So we're like at the very, very early stages of this, and it's going to have a significant impact. Yes. Cybersecurity and artificial intelligence is at the right area to join and, uh, and create a lot of opportunities. And so cybersecurity has no other choice to join artificial intelligence and, and especially like the actors that are, are being Im impactful as far as cyber is concerned, we, we need uh, we need artificial intelligence to enhance it. We have no other place to go. We we relived out the capability of cybersecurity as far as routers, switches, you know, like cloud computing and all. And cybersecurity is continues to grow. So we we're, we're going to need it. That is artificial intelligence. So a lot of people think of it and they, it makes them nervous. You sound more excited about the positive aspect. <laughs> yes, indeed. I think that we we need it. You know, like like what happened a couple of weeks ago out in Las Vegas, MGM, we had artificial intelligence as it worked its way against cyber actors and, and that and that whole piece. We probably could have solved that problem. We being cyber experts, uh, but without artificial intelligence being in there to tell you that, you know, you got a hotel with, you know, two thousand rooms that no one can get into them because someone had blocked them out for because of some cyber issue and. And people can't run their credit cards and do some of the other simple things. You know, we, we're going to need another agent piece that is cybersecurity that can help along the way. Well, that's some really interesting information. Thanks for sharing, Ernest. We want to gain some more advice on specific ways that seniors can protect themselves. But in the interest of time, we're going to break this up into a two-part episode. So thanks so much for your time and insights. We look forward to part two of our discussion. Thank you for joining us for today's interview with Ernest Miley. 
We've included several additional resources on cybersecurity safety in the show notes for this episode. To learn more about Tony and services offered through RBF Wealth Advisors, visit the retirementinsiders.com. We also encourage you to share the podcast and leave a review or rating if you enjoy the content. Till next time, be well. Please note, securities offered by registered representatives through private client services, member FINRASIPC, advisory products and services offered through RBF Wealth Advisors, a registered investment advisor, private client services and RBF Wealth Advisors are unaffiliated entities.